Welcome to The Follow-Up, a weekly podcast that goes in-depth into projects recently reviewed on Brand New, featuring conversations with the designers and sometimes their clients, uncovering the context, background, and design decisions behind the work. Hi, this is Brian e. Gomez Palacio, and welcome to episode number 58 of The Follow-Up. This week, we're following up on Instacart a leading grocery technology company in North America. The company partners with more than 800 national, regional, and local retail brands to facilitate online shopping, delivery, and pickup services for more than 70,000 stores across more than 5,500 cities. Instacart makes it possible for millions of busy people and families to get the groceries they need from the retailers they love, and for more than 600,000 Instacart shoppers to earn by picking, packing, and delivering orders for customers on their own flexible schedule. The project, designed by Wolf Allens, was posted on Brand New on August 8, 2022, with a follow-up post on October 11th. You can pull up both posts on your browser at bit.ly slash bnpodcast058. That is bit.ly slash bnpodcast058, all in lowercase. This week, we're joined by Daniel Renda, Senior Creative Director at Wolf Allens, and Kevin Burt, Executive Creative Director at Instacart. In this conversation, we'll learn about how the growth of Instacart, not just as a consumer-facing service, but also as a business-to-business enterprise, inform the need for an evolution of the company's identity and signal its changes not just externally, but also internally. We talk in depth about the importance of the carrot icon, how it was important to recognize its history, but also envisioning its potential for the future, and how the Wolf Allens team was able to infuse it with a newfound significance by planting it in the ground and transforming its top into an arrow. We also explore the development of the custom typeface, the photography, an extra fun campaign with Lizzo, and how the shop and saver ethos served to guide not just the design work, but to provide a creative strategy that permeated the business. Now, let's listen in as Armin follows up with Daniel and Kevin. Hello, everyone. Please stay where you are and relax because like Instacart, we are coming to you with a delivery of freshness and goodness as we unpack the process behind their identity and how they arrived at one of the most well-received icons of the year. Kevin, Daniel, welcome to the follow-up. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Armin. Excellent. Just so that our listeners can know who's who, if you can introduce yourselves with your name and title, that'd be great. I'm Kevin Bird. I'm the Executive Creative Director at Instacart. I am Daniel Renda, Senior Creative Director at Wolf Olins. Kevin, we're going to start with you to set some context about this project. Now, I imagine that the pandemic is a big part of this answer, but what prompted Instacart to embark on a major redesign at this point in its relatively short history? The business itself, we celebrated our 10th anniversary, so Instacart has been around for about 10 years. You know, as a business grows and evolves, I think so must the brand identity. So when we started a decade ago, we were just a grocery delivery company. And back then we chose a carrot as our logo because it was fun. It was friendly, approachable, representing food, which was, you know, that we filled our grocery carts. But if you fast forward to today, our business looks a lot different. We have transformed to become grocery first, but not grocery only. And I think that this is an important evolution within the business. 
So from fresh produce to home goods, beauty, pharmacy, electronics, and office supplies, you know, we serve so many different use cases that the original identity was somewhat lagging behind. And while it was highly recognizable and reflective of where we had been, I think, you know, to really reflect this new reality while honoring our past, this created a moment where we needed to see an evolution, if you will. And had this thinking started before the pandemic, or was it because of the pandemic, or accelerated by the pandemic? Well, I mean, undoubtedly, most on-demand delivery companies definitely, in some regards, were a necessity during lockdown. I think the business had already been evolving, and it was more about the brand identity catching up with where the business was going. Now, I understand that you semi-recently joined Instacart. At what point in the process of this rethinking of the brand did you come in? I joined Instacart in June of 2021, and I think we began this process during the summer of 2021. I think we fully got into the engagement probably in August. Is that right, Daniel? Yes, yes. Around August, I think we were in full swing in September. Yeah. So that's a good segue into Daniel. How did Wolf Hollins get involved in this project? Well, it was through a previous client relationship. So Laura, now the CMO, knew Wo from Uber. They felt like it was the time to take a serious look at their brand. As you said, the pandemic had accelerated growth. It created a crowded marketplace with a lot of copycats. The brand was blending in. We were interested because they had all these new ambitions, like Kevin said, to be grocery first, but not grocery only. And they came with a new team that had a fresh perspective. We knew it was going to be an interesting process from the beginning with the new client team. There was also new leadership, new CEO, new COO, and then this marketing team that was being built by Kevin and team in an organization that was previously product first, right? Product only, really. What kind of initial conversations were you having with the team about the engagement that you're going to have that started to define the direction that you're going to take in? Yeah, pretty clear. There was a lot of great inspiration. I think there was the conversation around the emotion that we want people to feel from Instacart. So it had a reputation of just being transactional, wanted to have a deeper connection with people. As we said, the food first, but not food only, or the grocery first, but not grocery only. So an identity that could be flexible and work for products and items beyond grocery. We thought a lot about flexible systems to convey all the possibilities of the product, right? You're thinking about a marketing experience, but you're thinking about a product experience. So that's two very different ends of the spectrum that you want to bring together so people feel like they're traveling through this very immersive brand experience. We had to support a range of partners, right? Like Kevin mentioned, there's like Sephora, Best Buy, electronics, cosmetics, pharmacy. And then from there, the most polarizing conversation, the carrot convo, the keeper cut. There was a lot of love from leadership and the existing team for the carrot. They had grown with it, literally. But the new team, you know, Kevin, Laura, they were more open, right? They wanted to see what the possibilities were. You get one shot at these things and you want to do it right. So you want to make sure you look at everything. I mean, what do you think, Kevin? You covered a lot of ground there, Daniel, that I'd love for us to dig into a little bit more. But I think it's important to back up for a second and just think about the momentum of the company. Here is a company, uh, as Daniel was saying, that was very much invested in making a great product experience. And in many regards, there was a little bit of, um, I would call maybe brand debt there. And the company decided through leadership that it was time to really dedicate to building a brand that people love. And I think that was a lot of what instigated this project as a whole. 
And I guess when we were going into it, there were a lot of discussions about, well, what are we looking for here? And Daniel said, like, Laura Jones and myself were relatively new to the company as a whole, but we knew that we wanted a new brand identity to be somewhat modernized, but have a familiar connection to where we had been. The other thing, and I think what Daniel mentioned, is we needed a brand identity that supported all four sides of our marketplace. So when you think about the business of Instacart, consumer-facing is a big part of that four-sided marketplace. Serving and delighting the customers and consumers is one thing, but also enabling our retail partners, which is an important sort of B2B aspect of our business and amplifying consumer product brands. So you've got the retailers, the Kroger's and the Publix and more, and then you've got consumer product groups that are the Pepsis of the world that want to see their brands. So when you talk to those audiences, what we were finding was that we needed to develop an identity that worked across that B2B side of things. And then the fourth side of that marketplace is really our shoppers, the wonderful community that does the actual last mile delivery, does the shopping, because of that, we felt it was important from the get-go for our identity, whatever direction we went, that it needed to serve all four sides of that. I think the other thing with this investment and dedication to building a brand that people love, we knew that we needed to recognize our past. And this, I think, was setting off to be more of like an evolution, uh, you know, than a revolution, if you will. But we wanted to embrace that vision of the future. And I think with any good brand, you know, making an emotional connection to the consumers, which we can talk about a little bit, was super important. So from the get-go, I was just trying to ground set us, Daniel. These were the things that we were thinking about. The other thing is, like, as you're evolving a business, a new identity can really be a signifier, not just externally, of change and evolution of the growth and the vision to power every grocery transaction. It's a signifier to consumers, oh, there's something that's evolving there, right? But it's also just as important as a signifier internally. As the company makes a strategic investment into the brand experience side of the company, I would say we just needed some new clothes. We needed a new wardrobe, really, to support not just from the business perspective, but to be that signifier that, hey, we're growing as a company. And that was kind of the impetus. And so when we reached out to Wolf Olins again, they were the perfect partner to strategically help place us there. And then being that, lack of a better term, I guess, like a Sherpa, <laughs> how did we get there, right? That's actually a first that we hear someone on the client side describing the agency, the designer relationship as a Sherpa, which is great. I think that a lot of what we do, yes, it is creativity and it is strategy, but a lot of it is just leading the way, paving that path so that we can all get to where we want to get and eventually do it in a fun, creative way. But also, in short, it sounds like it was an easy challenge. Just four little markets, you know, signifying a change internally, externally. Sounds like an easy thing to do. Yeah. So, Yeah, yeah. We'll have that back in a week. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Daniel, how do you start to unpack all of that at Wall Fallings? Meaning you have these conversations, you understand what the needs are. What is the first step that you take at Wall Fallings? We start every project with strategy and engagement. And I think the engagement part was really important. From the get-go, we were building with this team. We became the core team. So we set up a structure that was going to allow us to build together. And then from there, in this case, we did more of a creative strategy. We did build on an existing strategy, which was a great big broad starting point of share love through food. 
We use that to kick off the creative territories and start exploring different ways to go. But I really think that engagement from the beginning, I think we connected and you don't get that with every client. We try to make it happen. But I think when we met Laura Jones and Kevin and team, we did see that they were also finding their way through the business. And I think to that point of being a Sherpa, we felt like we could be that connector, right? So I think throughout the process, and we'll talk more about that later, I guess, we were really serving as that conduit between them, the new leader the marketing team that was being built, the product team, just bringing all of them together. Because like Kevin said, brand is a rallying point, right? You got to galvanize people around it and share belief. And belief is built through a process. One thing that's kind of unique to where we are I'm sure these engagements as a brand agency, you guys do all the time, right? But we're living in a remote sort of world and we've got new tools that have popped up that facilitate collaborative work from afar. So a lot of the work that you might have done, tissue sessions in person or, you know, pinups and so forth as to defining that, in many ways we were enabled by a lot of the tools like Figma where we can all work in one space live and talk at the same time. And I would imagine that with a lot of engagements like this, when you're making a change at this level, you know, you're galvanizing, to use Daniel's words, a rallying point for all of the company. You have a number of different stakeholders. At the same time, I'm building this internal creative team, this function that, you know, when you're building an internal creative team, they need to feel invested in the work that's being made, right? And that keeps them engaged in the long term. And I really loved how you guys took all of those parts and you guys helped us to sort of organize those, whether it was interviews with stakeholders or work sessions with people that are not designers, for instance. And then even with the internal creative team, I felt like all along the way, it was a conversation that was happening very actively and very live. I don't want to miss that point because when we talk about relationships between client and agency, for me, it was really important that we had the right energy behind that and engaging in the right way. And that's one of the proudest things that came out for me. The result of the work is incredible, but just the working relationship I felt, and this has gone on for the past year, quite frankly. It's a model that I hope to follow no matter what I go from here. There were some aha moments, not just with what we were doing, but how we were working together. Yeah, yeah. It was like conversations instead of presentations. That's one thing that we've found as a recurring theme in this podcast episode, especially when we have someone from the client side and someone from the agency side talking together about the project, is that, you know, we're sort of used to this idea that design happens when the client asks for something, the design agency goes back to their office, they do stuff, they come back, like, please clap for your favorite option, and then send us a check. But that is far from the reality nowadays, and I think the best results are coming from this sort of really great collaborations and synergy established from the beginning that allows both parties to be invested and come up with a solution that fits everyone involved. Let's start getting into strategy. I know this is mentioned in the case study, which it boils down to, forgive me, it's a shop and something. Shop and saver. There we go. Yeah, I just was blanking on that second word. So how did you arrive at the shop and saver mentality and how did that inform everything else? Shop and saver is what we call a brand ethos. And that becomes a framework to guide all the creative decision. It doesn't compete with purpose. It works with it. It developed quite organically through the process. We started thinking about synergies at the same time with strategy and design. And how we approach Shop and Saver, I think, 
it goes very much in line with the ambition that we defined at the beginning, right? We started by asking what's unique to Instacart. It's an efficient product, yes, and a service, but it gives you back valuable time. So it's both tech and food. It's not one or the other. And I think that duality gave us this range and underpinning to create a brand system. So you have shop standing in as a shorthand for the efficiency and the technology. Savor is the enjoyment. Savor isn't just about tasting something delicious, right? Savor is the feeling of relief, the feeling of spending time with your friends and family, right? So it extends into lots of different product offerings. And you'll see throughout the system that that informed all the creative decisions that we made. It's a wonderful truth, right? Our product is really about convenience and speed and being fast and efficient. What it does, the service that it provides. And I think that this framework was really defining for us because everything thus far, we've used this framework from developing typefaces to what decisions you make along the customer journey, right? Like, is this a shop moment, which is about efficiency, get out of the way, let people do what they need to do, whether that's checking out or, you know, those moments where it's about let's streamline to this other end of the spectrum, which is really that sort of slow down, stop a moment, enjoy life, enjoy the moments, take that deep five-second breath in, that five-second breath out, really celebrate what the product enables. Through its speed and efficiency, it gives you that time back with your kids or for you to enjoy life in other different ways. There's a truth there. And what's great about that is that creative framework or ethos, as Daniel would call it, has become this North Star, this guiding light that becomes this filter in everything that we do. Over the course of our engagement, I really began to recognize how powerful that is when it comes to helping us to do all the things from product design to marketing. Is this about a clear and direct message that we need to communicate clearly, or is this more about a softer moment that we can celebrate the enjoyment of life? So with Shop and Saver in place, Daniel, how do you start giving visual voice to that? What did the initial round of exploration look like? What did you show Instacart? If that was a process, I don't know if it was more organic than that, where you were working together on Figma, developing stuff together. It was very organic, just like you said, Armin. We had the shared Figma that was always on. It was definitely not a linear path. We explored many different directions. We made a mess. We worked hand in hand yeah. in a collaborative studio. We had these regular work sessions that Laura, Kevin were present in, and then the extended team. It was more like, I said, conversations about where this could go versus us going into like presentations. And from there, people could contribute words, references, sketches, test elements, right? I love that about Figma. I feel like I should be selling it right now. But you go in there, you could pull an SVG out and someone can try that in something they're working on. So we were actually looking at real life use cases at the same time as developing ideas. And then the way we think about creative territories in general is like we want to get into a range. So it might be that it ends up being a combination of some of these territories, but what we want to really do is start to exercise the different poles of where this could go. So something might be a little bit more focused on the tech and efficiency. Something might go more into the enjoyment and the romance of the situation, but we want to have that range. And then we can go through that and decide where we want to go as a North Star. You can go in there and we could talk more about things we explored, carrot versus not carrot. That's more technical. But I think that the thinking there is really about getting that range and having the conversations around the big ideas. There was something along the way that I found really compelling. This is part of Wolf Wolland's bringing their expertise. 
I feel like we should discuss the carrot or no carrot. Yeah, let's just get it out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we've talked a little bit about why the carrot was such a signifier. And I think through traveling through the organization and understanding people that had been with the company for a while, there was this internal cultural embrace of the carrot from nomenclature like we as employees are quote unquote carrots. And when you have 10 years of that, and while we're not a heritage brand, there was kind of a moment where we were like, you know, this is actually very important that we begin to maintain that connection to our past and make this into an evolution. With that being said, what are the forms that can kind of take that sort of aha moment with the carrot and the shop and saver you guys were looking at other forms at which this could evolve. But you were also sort of speaking towards, it's not just an icon you may find on an emojis or a carrot icon you might find an icon stock, right? There needs to be some sort of embedded meaning into that. So it's not just a signifier of that. I can't remember the example that you used, but even in the case of Apple, if you have a silhouette of an apple, that's one thing. But if you take a bite out of it, that brings a meaning to it. And I think when you guys were starting to dig into, okay, how do we bring that meaning to the form that this carrot takes? That moment where you put the carrot into the ground and you simplified the form and then also metaphorically how the top of the carrot represents that sort of efficiency and shop side of it, the bottom of the carrot representing that emotional saver connection, started to codify that. I remember we were experimenting with different tops to the carrot. And Daniel, this is all a Figma blur for me. So step in. But we were, okay, is that a form of a heart? Is that a form of a... And when you guys stumbled on this, I wouldn't say stumble, but when you guys explored this idea of it becoming an arrow that is directional, that really spoke to that fastness, that efficiency... There was a very sort of like aha moment, Eureka, that, you know, this is about the ease of adding items to your cart. You took a form and you kind of bedded it with that meaning, communicating a range of offerings that arrow could sort of decouple itself from the logo itself and become this form that is about our connections to our retailer or directional, like in wayfinding. Mm -hmm. I can't remember when that actually happened, but there was a phase there when we established that we want to trust our where we've come from, modernize our feel and move us forward. We spent a lot of time at that level, and I'm so happy we invested there because I think it exploded into what would eventually become a system. I think it's easy at the beginning of these processes to come in with a selfish goal of creating some new symbol or redoing an identity You know, from the beginning and how we approach all our projects at Wolf. We believe that that listening and understanding allows us to make the best work. And we knew that the carrot, like you said, was embedded internally. We knew someone at the company had drawn it. One of the founders and employees identified for it. We also like from a brand perspective, we were looking at like all these other ideas, like could we be a cart, you know, which is more flexible. You could put anything in a cart. What are metaphors for speed? Can you transform speed into the joy? We had letter-based solutions, but we saw so many pros for the carrot along the process. It already had some equity. It cues a good, healthy feeling, right? It feels unique in the space. We felt like, oh, we could own green and orange. Who has a better license to do that? And a symbol for an application, especially with a long name like Instacart, is really, really valuable. But like Kevin said, what was missing was the Apple Byte. 
that thing to discover that meaning that people can really start to say like, this is what we're about. This is what we do as a company. I think we're at this phase that we can do some of that through just the forms, right? Classic corporate identity. But then we have the license with motion to bring things to life. And I think that's what you're talking about, Kevin, with the extensibility of how it just felt like, hey, I could add anything to this cart. And then when we went really bold and cropped it, you had something that was even more symbolic and I think surprises people along the way, right? That carrot could jump up at any time and reveal itself. But when it's in the ground, it really does. And without getting too heady, it really does feel like the future, right? Like you're growing something. And I think we liked that broad vision of it versus it just being an illustration of a carrot. The Shop and Saver framework also came back to us whenever we started thinking about other elements of the design system. Particularly when we engaged with Ryan on developing a custom typeface, it became very clear that we needed two typefaces. One that was about clarity of message, a sans serif that's meant for product and small sizes that embody that shop side of things, and then something that is a bit more luscious on the saver side. And I just loved how once we kind of arrived at what is that mark of that representation, embedding it with meaning, then we started going through each of the different aspects of how you extend that. When we got to typography, it was really helpful to have that framework as a starting place. There's a lot to unpack in this last couple of minutes, but yeah, I think that one of the great things about the carrot is how your brain is able to complete the carrot even though you're seeing literally 10% of the carrot, the leaf part of the carrot, you know, you cut it off, you take it away. So it's just like the fact that you can tell that it's a carrot just from the part where it connects with the stem. So it's, it's really a fantastic icon. I understand why it was so well loved on brand new. And interesting how that then translated into the typeface. So let's start talking a little bit about those supporting elements. You talked a little bit about the typeface and having two different typefaces. What's interesting is that, yes, you have two, but they're one and the same in that it's a variable font. Let's talk a little bit about where that need came from. Why didn't you think like, oh, let's just use a existing retail font. How do you bring in Ryan Bugden, typeface designer, into the fold? What kind of brief did you give him? I know that from past conversations on the podcast about typefaces, we could do another 30 minutes on just the font. But so let's try to keep it brief. <laughs> Absolutely. I could kick it off because I've had a long relationship with Ryan. He's not only a fantastic type designer, but he's also started as a brand designer. So he has a great understanding of brand systems, right? And how brands need to communicate. From the beginning, which I think is going to be interesting for a lot of people, had Ryan joined the team to create typography ideas in parallel with directions. So we were actually making different alphabets for each direction. And this was great because the designers could test typefaces early. And between the people who are focusing on the poor brand identity elements and the typographer, you're unlocking synergies in the directions. And then later in the process, we were actually able to create beta typefaces for the Instacart Creative Studio to test and the product teams to test. But from the beginning, going back to your question about the brief, the goals, like Kevin already articulated, reflect the shop and savor ethos, right? So that led us instinctually to things that could have a range of personality. And I think the functional need for that was something that's equally great in product and marketing. And by starting with a typeface that has the same framework, the same basic metrics, you're able to keep the same expression, distill it down for product, it becomes really efficient, leads you through the process at the smallest sizes, right? And then for marketing, it could become 
a bit more voluptuous, right? It could express itself and it could become really big at those display sizes. And then I think lastly, you know, typography is such a tricky one, right? You want to create something that could be timeless, but then also stay up and be the right amount on trend. The brief really was thinking about how we can achieve something that we hadn't quite seen before, the right cues from the past, but not nostalgic, right? I think in the food space, we've all seen a lot of these like softer nostalgic serifs, and we wanted to bring in that framework of the efficiency. So you'll see even in the typeface, when it gets to its most expressive and round and curve, it has really straight cuts on the terminals. And that really gets at the synergy with the carrot. You see that in the volume of the bulb, you see that in the leaves where it has the rounds. And then it has these really sharp cuts that are going through the arrow. That synergy, both from a conceptual standpoint and then from a functional executional standpoint, really started to become the brief for Ryan and how he would integrate into the team and create something like this. And then for you, Kevin, now that you've been working with this typeface for a little bit longer, how does it perform? How do you use it? What are the pros, cons, if any? When you look at what we do internally and all the different surfaces, you know, we need to cover everything up and down the funnel of marketing from the bigger brand moments like our Lizzo commercial down all the way to the highly functional performance marketing type of stuff. We as a team have trained ourselves to identify what is most appropriate. When we need clarity, when we need to get a message across quick and it's a social media post, then we're leaning on sans, right? And then whenever we are seeking out a more emotional connection with our consumers or we need a little bit more jazz. <laughs> then we're using our saver typeface, which it's got so much joy. I, it's a special place in my heart. I really love that typeface, the contrast in it. I think in motion too, it really comes alive with a variable typeface. We're able to kind of quickly fatten it and for lack of a better words, you know, fatten it up nice and thick and, you know, nom, 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 right? When we want to sort of up that emotional side, we rely more on the serif. So that's kind of how we approach it. I think the other piece in here is just like layout structure. We also kind of introduce the container system, which is where a lot of the color and energy comes through our photography, our illustration, which that container can provide some grounding or provide a stage. We try our best to keep type separate from image, just strategically from a design philosophy. With marketing campaigns come and go, right? They're ephemeral in nature. And so we need to be able to have a structure that holds this together. And I think it's done through this layout strategy that the idea of we have this vessel that we can fill it with anything. And that's really where the color and so forth comes from the brand. And then we've got what I would refer to as the setting the stage or the vessel, which is our cashew color and our kale color, which becomes the base brand signifiers. I'm not sure I answered your question quite right. Sounds like it's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess I also mentioned is like, we've been trying to figure this stuff out for the past year. And so there's a lot of testing that's going on. Undoubtedly, we've got to make templates for emails. We've got to make mailers. We've got to do the hard work that the marketing demands. And then we've also got to bring it into motion. And I think along that entire journey, I'm going to go back to that word Sherpa. Wolf Ullens has been involved. I know for about six months, we did like a brand office hours, a sign up sheet. We've got a new challenge that is ahead of us. Our art directors and designers would come to our brand office hours and we will tackle it together in the Figma. This is kind of what I'm thinking. And then both feedback from the Wolf Ullens team and from our brand experience team led by Adam Cote, we would sculpt all of that stuff together. 
So often, I guess this goes back to the working relationship. There was something unique about that as a process because our internal team were taking stabs at how applying it. We were gently guiding the sculpting of this. And that's really important for internal team members to feel that investment, that they are contributing to the creation of the identity. Well, Follins could have just mic dropped and delivered some guidelines. I think the fact that we extended that relationship, and this to me is the most important thing, you can have great guidelines and a great logo and just you know replace logos everywhere is one thing. But then how do you embed the philosophy and the design approach and every touch point from extra large to extra small? What I like about the extra long answer is that it does sort of go back to the original question about how is that type is working for you in the sense that it is all about flexibility. And I think having those two extremes and spectrums of that type is being able to modulate different voices is sort of a way of working that has translated into how you design and how you develop new things in that you have that flexibility to tackle anything that comes your way through that typeface, through the colors, through the photography, etc. So speaking of photography, whenever I have a criticism on the blog, I don't like to bring it into the podcast because I don't like to put people in the hot seat. But <laughs> the one sort of negative criticism that I had about the project, or at least the project in the redesign introduction, was the photography and the people shown. Nothing against the people, it's just like they're really cool people. They, they're really well-dressed. They look like they're having more fun than I am on a regular basis, especially when I am thinking about groceries. So <laughs> what was sort of the thinking behind that approach to photography and maybe i'm answering myself in that kevin you mentioned that campaigns are ephemeral so this might be a way of bringing attention to instacart at this point as it changes like hey instacart is not just about convenience it's not just about shop but it's also about safe so i'm going to stop talking and let you answer when we talk a little bit about the themes of transactional versus inspirational, you know, the act of shopping for me fulfills not just functional needs, but emotional needs. It's a sensorial experience. It's recreational. It can even be hedonic, right? And we all know that consumers enjoy going to the grocery store occasionally. It fulfills not only a physical, functional need, but there's an emotional need, the need for discovery, connection, enjoyment, something that's truly sensorial in its experience. As the online grocery industry continues to grow with more players, many of those interfaces start to look similar and feel same, feel generic. I think it's our aspirations, at least on the marketing side, is in order for us to build an epic brand that reflects our evolving business, we need to lean in to evolving from a transactional to an inspirational experience. And this is work that we continue to do. I don't think that this is done yet, and it feels like we're constantly evolving it, but it at least sets a North Star for us from both the product and from the branding perspective. So yes, the nature of our photography is more than I think what you're just seeing in these case studies, because we have four sides of our marketplace, right? So those emotional connections that we want to build with the consumer isn't a direct equivalent when we're talking to retailers or to our consumer product groups, which are more business our photography, we have several different tranches that begin to sort of address that. So it's not like a one and done sort of thing. I think whenever it comes to photography style, you know, consumer facing, we know that we want to be vivid and craveable, inspirational, embody delight and do that in unexpected ways. 
But when we're talking to our shopper community, for instance, it's much more important for photography style to reflect this work we do with that community and building transparency and feeling more real and connection. So just like our typeface, we have this range from the hardworking sans to the delightfully fun saver serif typeface. We equally have that in the photography space. All right, I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. Now, speaking of inspirational and aspirational, you briefly mentioned the Lizzo commercial. I saw it recently when I was writing about the follow-up post that we did. It's really this delightful, brief story of Lizzo in her bathtub, ordering stuff from Instacart and things just coming to life in her bathroom. Right. Like the tackies coming to life. She's like, yes, please. Wherever that is happening, I want to be there in that world full of tackies. How did that come about? Uh, is this something that we can expect more from Instacart? She loves Takis. That's why they're in the commercial, (laughs) specifically. I think the world is your cart is our boldest creative platform for Instacart from a marketing and brand perspective. And I think this campaign ushers in a new era of shopping inspiration by celebrating the promise of Instacart. Everyday moments turning into these new worlds. I just found it a delightful concept. So this manifesto, this sort of one cart, many possibilities, the world is your cart. I think this campaign shines a light on the stories that our shopping carts can tell of our lives, right? So giving customers this exciting new idea that what's in my cart tells maybe a little bit about me. It was important for us engaging with Lizzo is to make something that was honest to her and her life. You know, she brings that inspiration to reality in the bathtub. We have a 60-second film which manifests that inspiration of the cart so much more than like a collection of goods. And so that's where we bring in that delight and that hyper-real sort of ways that as she's adding things to the cart in her bathtub, you know, the world around her is evolving and reflecting that. We worked with uh, Droga5 and the director, Sam Brown, who just had such great ideas on how to sort of transition between scenes, both using practical effects augmented with CGI. So as we're evolving that ethos of the world is your cart, the world is your oyster, right? We're developing new in-app shopping experiences, which enable people to see it and cart it. I mean, it's in our name, you know, cart, right? A new feature that enables pop culture, which we continue sort of develop part of us being part of the cultural conversation or embedding us in culture is about engaging pop culture personalities and retailers and creators to create collections of shoppable curated content. Not only did we have a commercial, but Lizzo also created a custom cart, a Lizzo cart, if you will. When you went into the product experience, you could shop what's I mean, it's sort of whenever I, I was going to say when I crack open an Us Weekly and I want to know about the celebrities and where they're just like me and they're going shopping, right? Um, I don't read Us Weekly, but metaphorically, that's what I'm <laughs> kind of saying. There's a human sort of interest in, oh, what's in their cart? And what does that say about them? Everything from a Swifter to Takis to Oreos, all of those things that she loves. And I think that's a really nice framework that we're furthering, you know, with other celebrities and other creators like Sierra and football players, TikTok and Instagram influencers, where we take the card it, but this philosophy that it's one card, but so many different possibilities. And what does that say about you from a, not say, but how does your cart reflect that? I find it delightful and it's a way for Instacart to enter into the cultural zeitgeist. Just a testament to building that emotional value at a brand, giving it personality and you know, we said it with a bunch of these elements going from transactional to this aspirational. We were really excited to just see that foundation come to life. 
Sounds exciting, and I can't wait to see what else comes through Instacart in this manner. So in trying to sum up the conversation, Daniel, what was the most exciting aspect for you working on this project? I think it's two things. First, getting to work with a great client team that was willing to take some risks. You know, it was a process. It felt hand in hand. I also was fortunate to have a very talented team with me that pushed and challenged throughout the process from engagement to strategy and especially in design. It was just really great to work with that group. Secondly, for the project aspiration, being able to uncover the link between business ambition and design. I mean, that's really exciting. We could do lots of logos that we feel have embedded meaning and sometimes they just don't translate and people don't get it. Being able to develop a creative strategy that's permeated the business and hearing leadership say shop and saver, hearing the product team thinking about, well, how do we think about our app experience through shop and saver? That ambition being brought to life with strategy and design thinking is just why I do this. Perfect answer. Kevin, for you on your end, the question is a little bit different. What is exciting about this identity moving forward? Well, it came at the right time for us. I've been building out this internal creative studio and equipping these team members with new tools and new ways of doing things to better their work. As a manager of creatives, I want to be able to motivate them and engage them. The whole process of the entire design system being so flexible, I think, was wonderful, particularly wonderful for me, seeing it in action, right? I just have had moments in the past where we get delivered something and it's not practical. It misses on so many marks. And that flexibility that's embedded in the system has really been an enabling part of this. And like I said earlier in our conversation, that the way that we work together was kind of an eye-opening moment, external and internal working hand in hand. So that was amazing. I think there's a lot on the horizon with how Instacart is going to evolve We've made it flexible enough to adapt to even unknowns that we have at the moment. And I think that that's really exciting to me. It means longevity. It doesn't mean like a flash in the pan. Wonderful. Well, Daniel, Kevin, it has been great to talk to you and dig deeper into this carrot that you put in the ground with an arrow that can take it so many directions. It is a really enjoyable identity, and it sounds like it has empowered and invigorated Instacart in a great way. So I can't wait to see what else comes. Thank you again for joining me on the follow-up. Thank you. Thank you, Armin. Another great identity, another tale of great relationship between client and designer that further blurs the perhaps outdated model of us, designers, and them, client that often creates an unnecessary division between in-house and external agencies. Instacart's and Wolf Allen's collaborative approach demonstrates that a shared Figma file, where the two parties explore together and envision the potential the brand can be as impactful, if not more, than a single mic drop presentation from the designer and yield a more fruitful, or in this case, root vegetable full result. Today, thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll be here. We hope you'll be there.